Hi, my name is Emily Vanderkamp, and I oversee research communications at the International Baccalaureate. Welcome to the IB Voices podcast. In this interview, my colleague Zach speaks with researcher Dr. Paul Beach about the findings of a policy paper on the role of metacognition in teaching and learning. He talks about the importance of metacognition as a skill for education and life and offers tips for IB educators on supporting metacognitive development among their students. All right, over to the interview. So before we jump right into metacognition, Paul, I wonder if you'd be willing to introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Uh, my name is Paul Beach. I'm a research associate at Inflection, where I've worked for the past eight years. Um, I specialize in educational policy research, um, post-secondary readiness theory, and educational equity. And I've worked on a variety of projects over the years for a number of different clients, IB being one of them. And this, um, I've been on three different IB projects, uh, this one representing one of those projects, also two that I finished, I'm working on currently. And um, one of those projects is actually building on this policy paper and is exploring the integration of metacognition within IB programs. So research suggests that metacognition is an essential skill for student learning. Before we jump into the policy paper, I would also love for you to start by explaining what metacognition is. And I'll start by saying that it's a very fuzzy concept that's very abstract and it's an internal process that we use that mostly relies on our memory. So it's, it is difficult to define in general. And I think the most common definition that's given is thinking about thinking. Um, I like to say thinking, purposeful thinking about thinking. So it's actually being aware of your thinking processes and how you use those to plan your work, monitor control, how you actually do your work, and then reflect once you're done within the sort of cycle of learning. What what does metacognition or metacognitive instruction look like in a classroom? Yeah, I think the most important point before I, I expand on it is that metacognitive instruction is really explicitly rare in classrooms. So great teachers often do metacognitive type instruction implicitly, and that is done through mostly modeling. So it's a teacher in the front that is explaining their thinking processes, how they would approach a cognitive task and the type of strategies that you would use to complete the task. And when it's done really well, they're talking about, well, in the past, you know, I wrote this paper, I tried outlining it in a certain way, but it didn't really work great for me. So I might try this other strategy that, you know, I know has worked for my friend over here. And so it's really done, I think, through being very explicit about metacognition, calling it out, calling thinking processes out, modeling by teachers and peers for how to actually go about thinking about your own thinking. And then through um, sort of scaffolding uh, instruction for students. So it's, it's really kind of guiding them through it, especially when they're younger, how to actually go about engaging in metacognition through the learning process. And then over time, through sort of prompting students on how to do it themselves, getting them cues that they gradually learn how to do it uh, on their own terms within their own certain style. And so it's explicit instruction that focuses a lot on modeling and prompting and questioning and peer modeling. That is kind of the most effective way to uh, teach metacognition to students. It's really cool to hear you explain that because something that I'm noticing as sort of that's similar between this study and the other two 
on resiliency and growth mindset is that there's this sort of this fundamental aspect to it, which is modeling the behavior. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised by that. No, I think it's something that comes up over and over and over again in education. And um, it is really crucial. And to kind of piggyback on that, the modeling has to be authentic. You know, so if a teacher is someone who really believes that knowledge is transmitted from the teacher to the student in these very specific ways, you know, this is the knowledge you need, memorize it. This is how you learn it in this one way. No other way really works. And that's a really dramatic way of saying it. But if teachers aren't modeling how to be really flexible in their thinking, how to how to go about um, really monitoring, controlling their their learning in ways that are suited to their own style, that um, if they're not showing students how to do that and not really living it throughout their own practice themselves, it's really unlikely that they're even going to first of all explicitly teach it, but also that students will take uh, ownership over themselves and believe it's something that's worthwhile. And it goes for parents as well modeling is, you know, if they're seeing sound metacognitive practice, both in the home and in the classroom, it's really kind of a, a double dose of great instruction that students will more quickly kind of learn how to open their learning. So if there's really great modeling going on, whether it's in the classroom or at home, what are some of the most notable benefits of metacognition for students? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, the, the, the greatest benefit of a student that uh, is a really strong metacognitive learner is that they develop skills to be a lifelong learner. So when they go out, you know, imagine a student that really, you know, becomes really sound metacognitively in middle school. They go into high school and they have the skills and the, the mental strength and capacity to really learn what they need to, whether it's a new skill, whether it's just navigating high school in general, and then through the workforce where they're gonna have to learn new skills, they're gonna have to be very highly adaptable, especially in this kind of 21st century economy where new jobs are constantly being created, old jobs are going out the window. There are high premiums on students that can really master their own learning and develop new skills and ways of doing things. So that's the biggest takeaway I would say, but also has immediate effects in the here and now for students, helps them develop more sound study strategies, for instance, that are well suited to how, how they actually prepare for an exam, for example. Um, so those are kind of, you know, the main benefits and it's something that I am, you know, diving into this literature. It's, it's really impressive to see how deep the evidence base is for it. You know, it, it is touted as one, you know, top 10 teaching strategies for improving student achievement. And um, the evidence base really focuses mostly on student achievement, but in, in the core content areas, but metacognition can really help students in all parts of life, no matter what they're doing at home or in school, academically or otherwise. You mentioned metacognitive strategies, and I'm curious, sort of, what are some of, like, I guess, the most promising practices or tools that, that could help support student metacognition? Yeah. Um, so there are numerous types of learning strategies, and they're all very specific to individual type of courses, or uh, and they all you know should be developmentally appropriate for students, too. So it depends on what age they are, what content area they're in. But to give you a few examples, um, and how we sort of approach the paper itself is, and I haven't really mentioned this yet, is this idea of self-regulated learning is this idea of planning your work, monitoring, controlling your actions, reflecting in this sort of cycle learning. And metacognition is a really important piece of that at every stage of self-regulated learning. And so how we sort of situate the paper is within each of those cycles, so 
planning, monitoring, and evaluation, we picked out some really promising strategies within different content areas. And so for um, planning, one that comes to mind is the improved method, which is meant for mathematics achievement. And improve stands for something really long that I don't have memorized. But the piece that was really important to, to us was the planning piece, and it relies on metacognitive questioning. So it's a student is uh, coming to a story problem in math about solving um, a graph, trying to find two components and, and drawing a slope or so forth. The first step, you know, in this in this program is for students to really answer a whole lot of questions about what do they know about this problem, what don't they know, and what are some strategies they can use to learn what they don't know to effectively complete it. So it's really those kind of really specific targeted questions. That are, that's one method, especially in the planning phase of metacognition, that helps students plan their work, identify learning strategies that might work for them, and then to kind of have a, a more solid path going forward. You know, I could talk about each of the different cycles. You know, reflection is an important one too that I think I, I should touch on since it's so important to IB. It's one of the IB learner profile attributes. Now, reflection can take many different forms. Uh, a common one is journaling. So when you're done completing whatever it is, writing a paper, um, you know, sitting for an exam, that you sit down and you self-evaluate your performance. That's the most common way I think it's done. You know, I, how did I do on this project, so to speak? Um, it often stops there, reflection though. It's reflection for reflective practice sake. And it's good, it's a good human quality to have, but I think the real importance of reflection happens when you reintegrate what you learn through the process into what you do in the future. And so really targeted reflective practice, practice that's focused on learning processes as well as just like what was learned and how someone did on a certain project is a really valuable tool. But it's often just done in, I think, not superficial ways, but not totally complete enough to really benefit the learner the most. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you mentioned things like self-planning, and it, it sounds like you're talking about agency. And I kind of feel like in this era of working and learning from home, there's so much onus on the student to like be their own advocate, to be their own motivating factor. I'm curious if you think that this environment is good for metacognition or not, if it is true that a lot of students right now are feeling very like, I want to say alone, but but not necessarily in a bad way. I think it's a really great question and something we've wrestled a little bit with that inflection. And I think the short answer is that there are certain elements of working from home, going to school from home, that are going to force students into positions to have to really use their self-regulated learning and metacognitive skills to be successful. But I think the crucial point is that students need a lot of guided support in the early stages of doing this. And since it happens so rarely in classrooms to begin with, many students have not had this direct exposure to instruction, uh, modeling, and so forth in explicit ways. So, you know, ideally, if, if students were, I think, in classrooms where they're consistently getting this type of instruction, uh, it is happening in some classrooms explicitly, but also very implicitly, but not across the board by any means. If they were and they were at home and they were equipped with those tools to really, you know, deal with this very difficult situation where they're going to have to own their own learning in very new and profound ways, I would say it's, it's very helpful. But um, without that sort of built up of metacognitive knowledge and training, instruction, support, which can happen online, mind you, 
but obviously is made much more difficult in, in these circumstances. So I think it's actually hugely important right now that um, if students have these skills, that they are going to fare better than students who, who don't or have an exposure to the type of instruction to build metacognitive knowledge and skills for themselves. So it's something that, you know, I, I wrote a little piece for a different project where when we go back to in-class instruction, you know, a lot of the uh, emphasis is going to be about catching students up for learning. And we often hear the learning loss, we hear these phrases, it's often referring to uh, grade level standards or achievement level, achievement test metrics. I think there's a, a definitely space uh, for a, a bit of a debate on, you know, should we be doubling down and helping students own their own learning through metacognitive instruction? So when we do have a pandemic that comes along again in the however many years, or where I live in the West Coast, where we have wildfires that kept students indoors for two weeks at a time, all these types of natural or economic disasters that can happen, the students are more well-equipped metacognitively to, to persevere through them in, in ways that um, are beneficial. It, it reminds me of our podcast on resiliency. And if memory serves me correct, we had another a similar conversation where, you know, does the hardships of learning from home, being a student from home, does that create resiliency? And maybe it does, but maybe that's not the best way. Exactly. That's a great way of saying it. It's probably not the best way, but it's going to force some students to engage in metacognition. And my fear is it's going to happen implicitly, you know, that just it just naturally has to kind of happen a little bit. I mean, there's not this support network of peers and teachers in the here and now in face in person with you. But you're exactly right. I, that's kind of the thought that came to my mind is, yes, it's an environment that definitely is conducive to metacognition, but it's probably not the way we want students to learn how to do it. And they need that guided support for, as well. And um, if I could just touch, I think, tie these constructs together a little bit. Um, I haven't really touched on it, is that metacognition really is dependent on a lot of different concepts in fact student factors and so um you know one thing going for students that are, are at home trying to time trying to effectively learn is that it's a challenging environment and metacognition only happens when students are challenged so if you're doing something you've done a hundred a thousand times there's really no reason for you to engage your prior knowledge about how to do something it's sort of ingrained in your memory there's no real reason to plan that well. You're not gonna have to monitor, control your actions. You're probably not gonna have to reflect on it because it went the same way it did every other time. But when students are pressed to learn something new, they're challenged, it's confusing, it's difficult, that's when metacognition is most valuable. And a key part of that is that it's not just challenged, they have to be motivated to learn, the, learn something. So it could be challenging, but if you don't really want to, you don't see value in it, it's not personally or culturally relevant to you, you're probably not gonna engage in much metacognition either. And then to tie it to growth mindset and resilience, if you're challenged, you're motivated, but you don't feel that you can do it, or you don't have the self-confidence, or you feel that your, your mindsets are fixed with the learning strategy to use and how well they work for you, um, or you just, you know, when you're encountering difficulty in something that you haven't done before, and uh, you go one or two ways, you sort of give up, or you persevere, that's when you kind of see these constructs merging. So it's really an environment when students are challenged, they feel motivated, they have the self-confidence that know, they know they can persevere and do well through a cognitive task. And I think some of those elements are present in the pandemic currently, but certainly not all of them. So it's, it's 
it's one of those scenarios where some students are going to thrive and really grow metacognitively in in this current situation, while others aren't going to have that. Um, those factors aren't going to line up in the same way that uh, really produces that same level of growth. Obviously, here we are. <laughs> We're in the situation that we have to kind of wait out. So, what are some recommendations you have for IB school leaders and educators when trying to implement metacognitive development programs, whether it's over Zoom or in the classroom? You know, the first one, um, I'm sure people are sick of hearing me say it out loud, but um, you have to make it explicit. It has to be something that is called out in instruction in, in everyday learning. And I'm not saying we need to constantly be saying the word metacognition, but students need to know what that is and know when they're thinking about their own thinking, they're having this own internal dialogue, that it is metacognition. They're engaging in that process, something that they can own and hone across time. So that's the first one. You have to make it explicit. And IB does a, a great job of that in the, their documentation that I've had access to through, through a separate project. And a lot of the programs designed through the inquiry-based learning, reflective practice, many of the attributes in learner profile are getting at metacognition in some explicit ways and some very implicit ways. So the learning environment and the overall design of the program is really conducive to metacognition, which is great news um, because you know not all programs are designed in ways that are trying to build these thinking processes for students. They're more trying to get this really hard content knowledge, numeracy and literacy proficiency, which IB is obviously also doing, but it's not necessarily a, a twin focus um, like it is in um, for some programs. Um, the other piece, the second, I think I could just kind of list through the big ones, um, is really ensuring that student reviews their reflections. Um, and I just had thinking about this podcast, um, something that came to mind to me is that um, I, I grew up playing competitive soccer through through college, and I'm a pretty naturally reflective person. And so after every game, I would, you know, in the post game, when I was taking a shower, I would think about the game. I would think about where I did well, where I didn't do well. I did that part really well. Where I didn't do as well, though, is I didn't necessarily have explicit ways for my to integrate where I learned into my next practice or my next game. I think some of that stuff I would make mental cues of, um, but I wasn't really great at that second piece, trying to integrate the reflection back into what I did in the future. And since IB has such a, a a strong focus on reflection in, in really a multifaceted way. I think this is a, an area where um, could do a lot of work to help students build in whether they're intentional, like documentation, like reflective journals or whatever mode makes the most sense, helping students really engage in reflection that's used in the future. Um, so that's kind of a second piece that is missing a lot of metacognitive work. Um, the learning environment we touched on earlier is really crucial. Students need to be challenged. They need to be in learning environments that if they're confused, they feel okay voicing that confusion. If, if they, they fall down and fail doing something, they're okay saying that because those are huge opportunities to learn, to learn what worked and what didn't work well, and to, again, integrate that back into um, future research. And besides challenge, you know, we really need to be attuned to how motivated students are, how confident they feel, how resilient they are, because all those factors play into whether students are gonna engage in metacognition. Uh, regularly. Um, for teachers, I think measuring is really important. It's actually extremely difficult to measure what metacognition is um, because it really relies on trying to get into people's memories and both like how their memory operates, but how they've used metacognition in the past. 
because it's really hard to measure in real time without the, the assistance of uh, folks that actually study brains for, for a living. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, the one way to do it really easily is kind of informally. It's through just having discussions with students, having them explain their thinking to you, and having class discussions where students are, are again, explaining their thinking processes out loud. And through those sort of informal interactions that should happen daily and routinely, teachers get a really sound sense of where students are metacognitively and whether or not they're even engaging in it to begin with. And that helps identify what students might need some extra support, um, helps teachers uh, you know, frame how they're gonna talk about assignments and different lesson plans. And that's just a huge piece that I think um, when done informally in these types of ways can be really beneficial for teachers and take a little bit of the uh, difficulty out of kind of hardcore measurements. For school leaders, I think uh, a really important point is you have, to, you have to figure out which teachers are gonna be more inclined to engage in metacognitive instruction. Some are gonna be more comfortable ceding control over learning to students, having them construct their own meaning, develop their own learning strategies, uh, develop their own knowledge where other teachers are more inclined or used to kind of disseminating information to students in a more lecture-based format. So if a teacher is inclined to the latter type of work, they're less likely really to, to tap students' metacognitive abilities or engage in some explicit instruction. And then school leaders, I think, also really need to be paying close attention to the alignment across their systems. It's, it's not enough just to say we're doing metacognitive instruction, but not to integrate it into the curriculum in some meaningful way or to acknowledge that your assessment system might be sort of misaligned with that type of instruction, or uh, your professional learning. Teachers, um, important point is that teachers, by and large, aren't really exposed to this level of training in their teacher education programs. Again, it's like good practice, a lot of these techniques, questioning, modeling, and so forth, but they're not necessarily taught in very explicit ways. And so teachers are in the workforce and they need you know, ongoing professional development to, to learn how to to deliver metacognitive instruction. Parents need to know that they're really crucial metacognitive models for students and that they, whether or not they know it or not, they're modeling some sort of thinking processes for, for, their, for their kids. Um, and that sound ones are really gonna be an explicit and, and focusing on uh, sound reflective practice. And then students, I think, if I were to talk to any student, I think that the biggest, piece of advice I would give is that every student, no matter where they are developmentally in their learning, where, whatever age they are, they can learn to be metacognitive. They can learn to own their own learning in ways that'll benefit them in the future. And so I think just having that shift mindset is that I'm in control of my learning. I'm responsible for how I go about um, learning new content, learning new skills, uh, you know, basically doing anything that involves growth. Um, with the appropriate support, and you should seek out support if you don't feel that you're getting enough, that you can own your own learning. And it's really an empowering feeling, I think. And metacognition is absolutely crucial to that. Thanks so much to Dr. Paul Beach and his research colleagues at Inflection for sharing these insights on how we can support metacognitive development skills among our students. If you'd like to learn more, Inflection also wrote papers on growth mindset and resilience, which are available at ibo.org forward slash research. Be sure to check out more episodes of IB Voices on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
thanks for listening.